0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO. It's a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving gear and most certainly watches. This is episode 220 and it's proudly brought to you by the ever-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all f- so much for your continued support and if you'd like to support the show, please visit the for
1: more details. Jason, how are we doing? Last episode of the year. Yeah, nice round number, 220. Not bad. Yeah, it feels uh feels good. It's been uh, it's been quite a year and uh you know, I got to say I'm I'm, I'm dragging a bit today, so I apologize if I have a bit of a fatigued sound today. I got uh, double vaccinated yesterday, flu and, and a COVID booster and uh, just kind of feeling a bit bit under the weather, but has nothing to do with TGN. I'm excited to uh, to cap off our year with our last episode. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, man, two two doses, that's, uh,
0: that's plenty <laughs> to then go ahead and record this. Masochism, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. I'd, I would probably would have tried to make that a Tuesday afternoon sort of thing. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah good, good on you. I hope, uh, I hope any reaction is nice and short-lived for those. Yeah, right. Right. Other than that, a little bit of an update that I've got would be if you're waiting on November's Q and A, it's because I'm still working on it. Uh, I thought I had it mostly polished up, and then had a little bit of a problem with uh, with uh, uh, GarageBand, and am am uh, just rebuilding the show now. Uh, I figure because we're not doing anything to come out over the next two weeks, I'll drop it uh, sometime early next week, just before Christmas, and that way it kind of fills in a little bit of the gap for. Uh, those of you on the subscriber crew, but the questions are really good. It's a fun episode, and uh, and it just uh, gave me a little bit of a hiccup in terms of technology. So stay tuned on the supporter feed for that. Otherwise, I mean Slack is still going crazy. If if you're on the supporter crew and haven't gotten into the Slack, please please check it out. We're having a great time. Up over 600 people in there now, <laughs> and. Chatting about anything you can imagine, basically. Uh, every evening's a new surprise. It's great.
1: It has taken on a life of its own. I, I love to dip in there a few times a day and just like peek at what people are talking about. And there's like guys that are adventuring in Arctic Norway. And then you get, you know, the kind of the <laughs> evening rolls around. People start posting their cocktail hour uh, choices mm-hmm. and uh, new straps and questions about, you know, what tires to put on a truck and whatever. And uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's this, this community. It's like when you, you, you put out this, platform for it. And and it just kind of grows. It's like the field of dreams cliche, you know, it's like Amazing.
0: Yeah, Love no, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled by it. It's definitely what I'm doing in the evenings these days. My Instagram is very, uh, you know, quiet and dusty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. At this point, just kind of uh, enjoying enjoying actually connecting with folks in there. So like I said, if you're on the supporter crew and would like to jump in there and give it a try, uh, there are uh, kind of specific instructions that you would have gotten by email. Or if you can't figure that out, just drop us, uh, drop us an email and we'll get you
1: some uh, details on how to get in there. Pretty easy. Yeah, I don't have much um, to report this week. You know, we're kind of, I, I don't want to say I'm coasting into the end of the year, but I'm kind of ticking off things on my list, of, you know, things to do. Like I've got, um, for sure. you know, kind of year-end business finance stuff. And I sent off my kind of final manuscript edits to my agent for the next book. And then we're going to wrap this up today. And it's just easing into the holidays and, and the end of the year. And we'll take a couple of weeks off. And it's a tough time of year. I mean, it's not tough. I, I I love this time of year, but it's always tough when we get back into things in January. You know, some people feel rejuvenated. I always feel a bit lethargic coming out of holiday time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. I, I also find that i I start to take stuff right now and push it to January. Oh yeah. And go like, well, I'll do that in January. Like, so I'm so close to some time off or, I've got enough on my plate for these things or that thing, and then I, I end up starting January, and it's like a mad dash to be like, <laughs> "Well, why did I do all? Why did I do this to myself?" Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it'll be uh, it'll be like that again in January, but I'm I'm already pumped. We'll be back on January 5th, which should be great. You know, besides keeping everything in line and shuffling some stuff into next year and that sort of thing, the only other thing I've done, you know, kind of of note recently is I I got to do episode 40 of uh, Single Serving Cinema. That's my brother's podcast with his friend Tay. I've done now uh, several of them. So every 10, they do a potluck episode. And I've done those all for Denis Villeneuve movies. Uh, So this one is for (laughs) Prisoners, uh, which is a, you know, a TG and Film Club pick from way back. It's one of Villeneuve's kind of first major films. And we had a really good time. It came out a little while ago and uh, it wasn't, I didn't think it was necessarily going to be out in time for last week. So I
1: held the mention until this week. Yeah. You know, I, I saw this in the notes and I, I, it reminded me that I haven't seen this movie and I located it on, I can't remember where it's streaming, but it was one of the services. It's on Netflix these days. To. Yeah. Netflix. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to have that out. Maybe that's a good, uh, good downtime holiday viewing. Yeah, I think so. Speaking of viewing, Either last episode or the one before, you you had as a final note the trailer for Last Overland. Oh yeah, and I did start watching it. I've I've, I've watched two episodes, and it's it's great. I mean, it's uh, it, it's what you expect, um, but also a little bit more, and also a little bit less. I was hoping for so far a little bit more about you know the the kind of Land Rover nerd in me. I wanted to kind of dig a little bit more into the vehicle itself, sure. and kind of some of the prep and maintenance and issues they had with it, and it's turned out to be more of a travel log program, which, which is great. And, and they do go through some spectacular places. But uh, so I've got two more episodes to go and, and I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, I know you're you're kind of holding off on, on watching that um, for some time soon, but uh, I think you'll like it. Yeah,
0: I'm really excited for it. I watched the first 10 minutes of the first episode and then realized like, oh wait, I don't have four hours to devote to this <laughs> yeah. to try and get through it. So it, it is something I'm saving myself as a little bit of a treat for the start of holidays with stuff like that i like to wake up in the morning get a cup of coffee and then watch a couple hours oh, kind of yeah. before i start my holiday day yeah you know if, if you're hanging out with family or you're doing that kind of stuff that usually starts around lunch or the afternoon so this kind of fills in the fills in the morning so that that that's my plan for uh, sometime you know next week week after that sort of
1: thing should be great i'm
0: yeah. it looks fantastic i really enjoyed the first few minutes so
1: yeah yeah it's great and then besides that i mean i don't have much else to report other than i i received my uh Watches of Espionage Alpha Zulu strap. Oh nice. Our uh, our chum over at Watches of Espionage, you know, Cole Pennington's writing a little bit with him and and he's uh he you know, he's got such an interesting take on watches in general um from from his his time as a, a covert uh operative or, or agent um and and some of his inside knowledge and and it's just such a different way to look at at watches coming from that angle and he did this collaboration with alpha zulu straps out of the UK and and produced this kind of interesting I wouldn't call it a drab olive color green but it's it's an interesting shade of green that I've never seen on a strap before with some stitching very kind of heavy texture to it a nice buckle good hardware and yes they are um, well for one thing they're sold out they were a bit expensive but I I've I've spent more on a nato strap than Either uh, ashamed to admit or, or proud to admit, <laughs> so this wasn't uh, too extraordinary for for what it is. I think it's really well done. So um, those of you that were lucky enough to get one, you'll know what I'm talking about. But that was uh, that was a cool pickup, and I've got it on a a CWC watch. Um, Very
0: currently. cool. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I was uh, I was keen on taking a look at that, and then I think that came out like over the weekend uh, when I was dealing with the funeral. Oh yeah, out in Edmonton, and I I just you know. I saw it. I saw the price and I kind of thought like, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit when you factor for, you know, taxes and the rest of it and getting it to Canada. that yeah. ends up being, it would definitely be my most expensive NATO and I'm definitely a fan of what they're up to. Yeah. And then by the time I went back, uh, you know, got on the other side of of that trip and everything they, they'd sold out. So yeah, great for them. NATO or not, uh, be sure to check out Watches of Espionage. We, I've really been enjoying uh, the process, especially now that they're publishing directly to the website. Right. Solid work for sure. All right, and yeah, I don't, I don't really have that much else to, uh, to do. You know, it's, it's the end of year for Hodinkee and such, so we're writing all these sorts of like year end posts, and that's pretty much filling the days. And otherwise, just attempting to get outside and enjoy a sunny day. It's probably what I'll do right after this recording. It's, it's a little chilly here today. It's like negative okay. eight uh, Celsius, but yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to a, a nice walk in the park and maybe a little bit of a podcast before I settle into
1: this edit for the rest of the uh, afternoon and evening. Yeah, cool. You want to dive into uh, a risk check? Yeah. So, you know, I looked at the notes. We're both wearing watches that have some connection to our main topic today. Uh, I strapped on the Vertex M60 Aqualion. This is uh, Vertex's first effort at a dive watch and and quite an effort it was um, or is. It's just an amazing watch. I, I posted a loom shot on Instagram this morning and like, it's it's got to have the best lume of any 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 watch I've owned. I mean, better than yeah. Seiko's and the Lumidial Citizen, et cetera. It just it just glows all day long. It's just a, a fantastic watch.
0: When I had the M60C, sorry to cut in, but when I had the M60C in for review for Hodinkee. I was able to do a, a wrist shot that's actually the hero photo and it's a loom shot. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done a wrist loom shot as the main photo <laughs> in an article. Oh, yeah. There's so much loom. Yeah. It's why it's an absolute. I, I, that's one of the few watches this year that I genuinely like missed when I sent it back. Yeah. Usually when you have a month, especially with a watch that comes from a long way away, Don was very kind and like was not pr- pressuring me to get it back to him. Yeah. And then when it went back, I was kind of like, oh, I'll miss that. That was like that was like a really a proper tool watch Yeah. Uh, from, from a guy who clearly loves watches and, and kind of gets the points. But I, I, I apologize for cutting in. But no, I, I did, did enjoy that watch. And what, what a loom shot you can make with it for sure.
1: He knows what he's doing. I mean, it's for such a small company, like he, he ticks all the boxes, you know, great bezel, great design, mm-hmm. great strap choices, great packaging. So yeah, that's what I've got on. And we'll we'll be talking a little bit more about Vertex in a bit here. But uh, tell us about what you're wearing.
0: Yeah, you know, I was wearing the Mito and I've been wearing it a ton. I actually put it on a twenty-one millimeter gray Tropic. Oh, nice! Which it, it is just a really nice pairing, yeah. and and I've been I'd enjoyed it for several days on that. And then I started writing this story about the best budget watches of the year. Mm-hmm. That could cover thirty or forty watches. Like a lot of what we're talking about in this episode, will we'll kind of expand upon that idea. Yeah, but we had ten, and they were selected from the entire Hodinkee editorial team. So it was a, it was a mix. It wasn't just what I suggested, but of course. I, I fought very hard to make sure that the Citizen Aqualand, the 2007-17W the <laughs> would make that list. Yeah, And sure enough, in the voting of the 10 watches, it was at the absolute bottom, Huh. And yeah. despite the fact that I had voted at number one. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like it even more than the SSK. I think that it's an absolutely fantastic watch. I'm super happy with it. Yeah, And that's what I've got on wrist. So during the process of making that, I realized like, oh, I don't remember the last time I actually measured it. So I went and got it. And quickly put it back on the rubber, just because it's more fun that way. I think, yeah. and uh, and then I've been wearing it for the last couple hours, and and I don't think I'll put the metal back on today. <laughs> I, I love this watch. There's yeah. there's just something so unique and special, and and it you know you can find them online for about five hundred bucks from a variety of of uh, retailers uh, through Europe and and parts of uh, Southeast Asia yeah. and of course Japan. But uh, I'm absolutely in love with it. It does the commando thing really well, mm-hmm. and it's the biggest. Or maybe it's the smallest big watch or the biggest little watch. I'm not sure how which way you want to come <laughs> at it. But man, like for a watch that's like about fifty one millimeters wide, yeah, it's yeah. ludicrously wearable. I had to like check myself when I was writing about it because I don't think that anyone who hasn't had this on their wrist would believe just how small it wears. Mm-hmm. Visually, yeah. it's not small, but it doesn't hang over my wrist on either end because it's, you know, a little over 47 millimeters lug to lug. It's a ton of dial, right. but there's still all this extra case. You get a great bezel and then it's a loom dial. Come on, it's a loom dial. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the reason probably that I didn't end up selling a ton of stuff and squeezing my way into a white pearl. Oh, sure. Like I yeah. think this scratched the itch well enough. Yeah. Between this and already having the Sea Rambler, which I'm not willing to sell even to get a carbon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely love this. I love having the the seconds hand perfectly synchronized with the digital seconds counter. <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> uh, there's all this all this sort of stuff. This is a, a fantastic watch for $500. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I've got on my wrist. And it's, it's only one of I guess we can cross that one off the list for uh, what we were going to talk about, which is just kind of our favorite watches of the year, some of which came out this year and some of which we experienced this year. I think this is the perfect way to end the year in terms of episodes. Yeah, I do too. It's just to look back on on the watches that kind of like delighted us or cost us some money or kind of came and went but we're good like all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know you want
1: you want to kick it off with um maybe pick one of your favorites from the list? Yeah, sure, but I mean before we leave the citizen, I mean since since that was the first one we're we're checking off here. I mean to me that I would almost say that that was even as I look at this list now. Yeah. I think that was my favorite watch of the year. I mean, by far I wore it the most for for sure and uh mm-hmm. I think we both got ours, you know, early summer and it was the perfect summer watch. I mean, it just does does everything so well. So, yeah, uh, great pick.
0: Yeah, I would say under $1000 definitely it's it's yeah. my favorite and it really the only reason I give it that that hard line is because there's two watches, two other watches that I think I like just as much, ah, okay. Uh, but for totally different reasons. Yeah. So, uh, but you,
1: you take it away with your, uh, with one that kind of hits you the, the hardest. Yeah. Gosh. Um, okay. This is going to be an oddball pick. I'm going to get this one out of the way right away. It certainly wasn't a, 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 well, It certainly is way outside my wheelhouse. Um, but it's one that I saw at wind up, uh, in Chicago that kind of blew me away and it's from a brand I love. And that is Laurier this okay. Zephyr. Um, so it's a okay. dress watch, you know, this is, this is a, a small, Oh, this is the sort of tonneau shape. Yes. I mean, it's, it's like a 31 millimeter wide case. It's only eight millimeters, uh, thin, thick, whatever, 18 millimeter lugs. Like I, to be clear, I will not buy this watch. I won't, I would never wear this watch. I, I loved this watch. I loved seeing this watch. I loved that they make this watch because you know, we've, we've uh, crossed paths with Laurier a few times over the years they came to um, an event that we had in New York way back when, and it was oh, yeah. great to meet them. And, uh, and then of course it wind up, they were there and And they're just a, a charming couple that run this company. And, and, but the thing is that they've always made these great, beautifully designed kind of nostalgic dive watches and, and chronographs that kind of remind you of other things, but not, not you know full on homages. Mm-hmm. And then to see this one, this clearly very dressy watch that, that they're, referencing the kind of jazz age, uh, you know, 1930s, um, watches and, you know, it was just fun. It made me smile. I, I remember putting it on thinking like, good on you. You know, this is, this is a, this is a great release and it's, uh, it's only $499. And like, if, if you're someone who is into, you know, dressing your watches or you need one in your collection, I would not hesitate to, to recommend this one just from, from handling it and, and knowing the the company
0: yeah, I feel like this is one that I could actually see you buying just you know, a little ways down the road. It's like for the for <laughs> yeah. the, the the pipe the pipe in the evening. Yeah, yeah. Sort of you know. Yeah. The right the right record on the on the player that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's a vibe, and I love the the old school ads. Uh, I do too. Got on the page as well. Yeah, it yeah, fits really well. Yeah, yeah. That's a great pick, and and definitely. Uh, I remember also seeing it. I think I you you called you kind of brought me over to the table at wind up and, and check that out along with their other stuff. They've got uh, some beautiful watches and yeah, totally, totally support that on the list for sure. Yeah. All right. Next up. I'm just going to pick a random one and this would be back from March. So kind of earlier in the year in the phase and I got to spend maybe like two hours Hmm. With the solid gold Omega Speedmaster oh, with wow. the green dial, oh, the yeah. Moonshine, <laughs> and and I would say the big thing for me isn't so much that that it's a gold speedy. I, I think I saw the original Moonshine a couple of days before it even came out. We took photos of it, so not my first time. I and and that the BA style with that maroon bezel, like the the kind of anniversary yeah. edition that they remade a few years ago with the black dial furniture. That's incredible, uh, but this one. It really came down to that bracelet mm. it's a it, i believe it's a new or an updated like tapered bracelet yeah and the the combo of the two together is one that like i kind of haven't forgotten about you know this is obviously a hugely expensive watch yeah and and not one that is in even remotely in my future yeah but it made an impact like i, I remember <laughs> you know being in miami and this is talk about an impact like this is a watch that was released kind of quote unquote in the shadow of the ultra deep mm-hmm just as another kind of line extension of the Speedmaster, and they they had another version that was on a rubber strap with the champagne and black sub dials. Yeah, also fantastic. So I'm just going to start there with a watch that made me happy. I'm not going to buy it. I didn't buy it, <laughs> and I uh, you know I, that that's not in my future unless again the supporter crew really really blows up. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> Even then, yeah, it's just a really fun watch. And I, there's something it, there's something weird about occasionally it, it the 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 switch from steel to to a gold really changes the way I feel about a watch. It happens with the Royal Oak, and it happens with the Speedmaster, mm-hmm. where the steel ones like are they're fine. You can't take anything away from their merit as like kind of iconic watches, but not not something that like makes me feel any specific way. Yeah the gold does something else entirely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's in the green dials, like almost black in a lot of light. And then in sunlight or highlights, it's this very like radiant kind of sunbursty green that I liked.
1: Yeah. And, and some, for some reason, this combination of colors with that dial also brings out this dimensionality of the dial. Like it looks like you can see all the facets and the angles to the dial, which you don't always get right. Like the black dial ones, when you look at them, they often look just very flat. Um, a little bit flat. Yeah. 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 That's uh that's a good pick. So we, we've basically kicked off, you know, other than the Citizen, um, we've kicked off with, with two watches we'll, we'll likely never own. Probably true, yeah. I'm going to jump into uh, a quick one that that I do own, um, that I enjoyed, also that I f- saw for the first time at Wind Up in Chicago but back in July, and that is the the Benrus Type 2 reissue. Oh, nice. You know, I've talked about this a lot on the show. I mean, we've uh, I've worn it for wrist check, and, and I think I talked about it when it first came out. You know, great watch. I love this form factor. I love this... Um, you know what it conjures. Uh, you know, going back to the the watch that Ben Roos made, um, not for public consumption back in the in the early 70s for special forces divers and kind of CIA operatives in, in Vietnam and, and beyond. You know, between the type one and the type two, it's it's a bit of a toss-up. I I had kind of that type one format with the the Mark II paradive still love that. Um, but I don't know, there was something about like getting one from Ben Roos and it came in this like little zippered case. Um, felt very authentic, you know, has the markings on the back and, uh, it's, it's a solid watch. It's, it's incredibly accurate. It's got the, there's no phantom position for, for a date, um, with the movement. Bezel's a kind of a firm friction bezel, a couple of good straps that came with it. So yeah, um, great, great watch in, in 2022 that I think, you know, probably flew under a lot of radars, um, for people, smaller brand, but, uh, yeah, good one. I would think so. Yeah. I think that's a great pick. Uh, you know, I, I've seen and
0: handled the type one Yeah, and I really like the dial design of the type one, but the type two has really grown on me. I think probably just in seeing it more often yeah. since the, the sort of re-release. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very hard to photograph though. It's got this incredibly high domed, you know, like totally, um, convex, uh, right. crystal, but um, that's what makes it cool.
0: All right, right, next up. Let's see, another one off the list here. I I think I'm going to go with the Seiko SSK GMT. Oh, okay. The Seiko 5. Yeah. So I think this is one of the more like crucial watch releases of the year from, again, from a budget standpoint, Mm -hmm. and I I bought one very quickly, have really enjoyed it, and and while I won't take anything away from its importance or anyone else really liking it, I almost feel like it's a little bit diminished because I had my time loving an SKX, Oh. and it wears exactly the same. Oh, yeah. It almost feels like I'm in the wrong stage in my, you know, appreciation
1: of watches for this to be as good as it really is. Yeah, for that me. makes sense. If, yeah. Does
0: that make an, that makes a bit of sense?
1: Right. But but yet it would be the perfect watch for, for somebody that's coming into this. And I think so. Yeah, because c- the SKX is such a timeless, perfect design for a watch. And, and we all have recommended mm-hmm. it. But then like you throw the GMT thing in and like you could be a new collector and come into this and, and find yourself with a really cool watch for not much money.
0: The other thing for me isn't so much being a new collector or an old collector or even the money, but the the thing that strikes me is that it came out after the SPB. Oh, sure. And for me, the 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 the, the SPB one four three coming out was kind of the end, like was the bookend, mm. the you know the next chapter in what I like about Seiko. Yeah. Because it, it it kind of captured a lot of what I appreciate about the SKX, but did so in a format that I felt was like a little bit more mature, a little bit more refined, a, a little bit easier to wear. And, and really quite exciting as a, at a product. Yeah. And as much as I like my SSK, um, I'm kind of fighting between selling it or saving it for mods. Mm, you know, mm. you're, you're interested in getting into modding this winter. I'm, I'm kind of interested in the same. I've been looking over like lists of tools on Reddits and, and that sort of stuff. But I, I haven't really decided which way I want to go with it. If I'm not going to mod it, I think I would rather pass on uh, the watch to somebody who will travel with it and will show it a good time. Yeah. At this point, because of watches like my Explorer 2 or another watch we'll mention in a few moments, I, I don't feel like I need a GMT that isn't ideal for travel. Mm-hmm. You know, if I want a passive GMT or sort of a, a collar GMT, I, I I could very well use this Citizen. It does a second time zone very easily. True. Or something with a 12-hour bezel. Yeah. What, you know, which there are options. So yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because I feel like even just a few years ago, this the the Seiko 5 SSK and, and I have an 03 and I, I like the way it looks it wears really nicely the bracelet's a big update but I feel like it's some of it's the the like buzz that I wanted from it wasn't there because mm. I've uh, almost like I've attached my kind of Seiko fascination to other other specs like something a little bit more wearable for me every day than than uh in the SS, uh, in the SKX format yeah yeah that's a complicated explanation of a really
1: good watch. <laughs> yeah, and it definitely bears inclusion. I mean, this this watch had a lot of buzz. I yeah, think, yeah, for um, sure. You know, I remember, um, <laughs> I think I, I ferried it to Chicago for you, so I got some time with it um, mm-hmm. before you took it over. And uh, yeah, really good pick. I like that one. Yeah, I, I can't. I definitely
0: don't have anything bad to say about it. Maybe just I'm in the wrong phase or or whatever. So yeah, um, a w- a winner nonetheless. And I highly support um, anyone who's got one, taking it somewhere special. And if you're looking for a, an inexpensive GMT that has a great style, yeah, uh, and has an incredible world of mod options mm-hmm. beyond it, yeah, uh, great great starting point. And a, I think a super fair price. Yeah, four hundred seventy five bucks. Uh, maybe they're selling for a little bit less these days. I don't. I'm not sure what the demand
1: is. Right. What do you got? Yeah, so back in the summer, um, our friend Mike Pearson was was in town here to um, launch um, the brand he's working with, um, Zodiac, at a, at a local retailer. And he brought, you know, as he does, he, he had a, a you know, box of watches um, that he was bringing to the event, and he came over to our house for dinner, and he kind of laid some out, showed them to me. And one of them that really caught me off guard and struck me as a really cool watch was the Zodiac Olympus. And he had um, kind of a pre-released version of what then they later released. Um, and that is this Olympus Field, which is a watch that probably normally wouldn't be one that would be on my list, but it, it just struck me. And it's, it, it's such a unique watch. It's a, it's a classic kind of field watch. It's got 200 meters water resistance, um, a screw-in crown, you know, good solid automatic, Swiss automatic movement. Of course, what, what struck me is it has this what they call the manta-shaped case. So, you know, the lugs mm-hmm. at the bottom kind of go out and up. And then kind of taper into the, to the top uh, strap horns there. And then the crown is at two o'clock. The specificity of the field version um, is that it has two dial choices. It has kind of this uh, smoky gray brown, and then it has this um, uh, kind of an olive green color. And they both have this, I I guess you'd call it like a fume or um, kind of a fade texture or, or appearance to them. And it was just a cool watch. It was super lightweight. I mean, for the size, it's a, it's a 40 millimeter watch. It just, it wore really well. There's no date. It ha- has a very retro look. It's it's just different. You know, when you think of Zodiac these days, you think of the Super Seawolf stuff and the GMTs and, and, uh, I was just pleasantly surprised by this one. So it's, uh, it's 895, good size, good, good solid build, and and just a really unique watch that you're not going to see probably on anyone else's wrist. So thought I'd throw that one on the list too. This is definitely one I'd like to see in
0: person in the coming year. Yeah. Um, I have I have a few watches that have to go back to Mike, so I should probably <laughs> maybe just organize a little trade. I think this dark dial captures some of the the aesthetic of like, you know, the pilot watches from Zenith.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah.
0: But like in, in a little bit more simple, maybe less garish sort of format. Mm hmm right i like this yeah Yeah. i think it's handsome and distinctive and cool and the price is right and i've been really impressed with what zodiac's been putting out for the last couple years yeah especially like you said in the super seawolf stuff Mm -hmm. um and this gives you an entirely different outlet like if you if you've got enough dive watches uh, if you know if such a thing exists (laughs) right yeah yeah good pick for sure i'm going to follow up with something very colorful and and just the right size and probably so far That's hard to say. The world timer is really good, but uh, probably my favorite thing to come from the brand so far. And that's the new fair Aquamatics. Oh yeah. So I had, I had one of these over the summer and really just kind of fell in love with it. If I, if I was in the market for a watch, anything like this, I feel like it kind of defines what's available at a thousand dollars for a steel sports watch that doesn't have any connection to something like a Submariner. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. It's just, it's so much color and fun. A good bracelet comes with a quick change rubber and a NATO 38.5 millimeters. It wears low. The bezel's pretty good. The loom is good. Like they just don't get anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you can pick one of the, I think it's four versions. And if you can pick one, if you like the colors enough to pick one and and lock into it, I think you just end up with a fantastic watch for a thousand bucks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the, you know, the site. I remember when we, when you talked about this uh, earlier this year and, and. The one you had was, was very colorful and, and I mean, the color options are are just crazy. And, and someone at that company, um, has a real eye for what colors go well together because there's no way I would pick some of these color combinations and yet they work. So you're, you're totally right. These are totally unique. They don't reference anything else. And, uh, yeah, and, and they seem to be good quality build and and the price is perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, right at just under a thousand bucks.
0: Price is right. Good warranty uh, from a brand that's proven themselves. So you're not buying into a brand that might go away in a couple of years. Like Fair's been around. They do the wind up circuit. They're part of the, they're part of kind of our level of the industry. Yeah. They're nice people every time you reach out to them. They understand and enjoy watches. They do some cool LEs. They made that killer world timer a couple years ago which I really loved yeah. with the luminous city disc and all that. I'll put it in the show notes the name of its uh, their their naming structure sometimes escapes me which is why I'm happy they went with Aquamatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is very very nice and easy to remember but yeah. You know, if you've had some of their larger cushion case divers or the the sort of super compressor style stuff, they they were bigger, right? And and I think this brings a similar charm but just so much more wearability. And, and at 38.5, I'm, I'm sure at some point I'm generalizing, but it also becomes a watch that I feel you could share pretty easily with your significant other. Yeah, true. Which which is nice regardless of gender, creed, wrist size, the rest of it. Yeah. Um, all, all of that would work. At uh, Yeah, I just think there's a lot of value here. And it's far from our only dive watch or smaller dive watch on the list, but it is one that when i think about this year I, I do think about it having it and rather enjoying wearing it around and it's it's a little bit of like a like it's a smile kind of machine for your wrist because yeah. you look down and it's just nothing like an uh, a lot of the more stoic kind of simple straightforward dive watches that i've got yeah 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 good one good fair as always
1: all right i um I, I noticed we have um we have more than one tutor on our list um so we probably should dive into several tutor. yeah, yeah big year for Tudor. It was a big year for Tudor. I mean, some, some really, yeah. <laughs> really strong uh, choices. And I, you know, I'll, I'll let you talk about the other two. Um, but, but the one that I added to the list, uh, was the new Ranger, which I, mm-hmm. I just, I felt like it feels like the the proper sort of, um, air to the, to the Ranger name. Whereas I felt like the first one that they came out with several years ago, the, the bigger one, the 41 millimeter one just was, it was a bit of a swing and a miss. There was too much dial empty space on the dial just something about it just didn't sit right with me. This one just looks so good. And I've, I've gone on record as saying I need a watch that has something to fiddle with, like a bezel or chronograph pushers or something. Mm-hmm. This one has none of that. It's no date. It's just, you know, Arabic numerals and three hands. But man, I've come close to, to trying to figure out if that's something I could make uh, make my own because aesthetically, I think it's just it's such a perfect watch. And of course, Tudor makes such high quality stuff that um, there would be no no issues there the price seems good um i suppose the way to go would be to get it on the bracelet for 3050 yeah but it sure looks good on a strap and that's the way i'd wear it 90 90 percent of yep. the time have you handled these
0: yep i was there at the launch when it came out a really impressive watch i i think for me especially given that the there's these other two watches that we'll talk about i i kind of because the ranger wasn't smaller than they made it oh yeah it almost doesn't differentiate itself enough yeah yeah I almost feel like in many ways, I would almost suggest someone, depending on what you're looking for, go with a Black Bay 36, Oh, hmm. which is also still a compelling watch and a nice size. I do think that if the Ranger persists, if the 39 millimeter works, yeah, who knows? You can never predict these things, but we may see them follow suit with what Rolex did and go to a 36. Yeah. And then I think at 36, we start talking about a product category category that people really like. They love the Hamiltons, mm-hmm. the smaller hand-wound Hamiltons. Obviously, people love the current six digit. 36 millimeter explorer yeah and to have something at a significantly lesser price point than the explorer but still gives you you know a brand on the dial that you love and and the build quality and the movement and the rest of it i, I you can't take anything away from 39 it is definitely not too big mm-hmm. it's just the watches that it referenced were significant significantly smaller than 39 yeah so i think it'd be interesting to see if they go and go go ahead and, and actually expand the ranger uh beyond a single reference um i, I think it's a solid watch in in my mind it it just got overshadowed by the Black Bay Pro and the 39, which I think you should talk about. Let's 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 lump these together. Sure. Obviously, they came out two different times of the year. The Black Bay Pro is the big announcement from Watches and Wonders. It was my favorite watch of the show. I think it's a fantastic watch for the money. If I didn't own the Explorer Two that I'm lucky enough to own, I would definitely be in the market for something like this. It's mm-hmm. it's a nice size. It's easily worn. It goes in a bunch of different straps. I like the coloring. I like the aesthetic. I like the sort of nod to the history of a two-time zone time watch, like the 1655, in in the overall aesthetic. And then I think the execution just works really well. Yeah, um, it's a little on the thick side, but genuinely, that that really tends to only bother me when the watch doesn't sit correctly on your wrist. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't find that to be a problem with this. Uh, and and I would say again, the funny thing I would say about the Pro is the only thing slowing me down is a watch that I already own. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. True. And then the fact that months later they announced a watch i really want and and probably will kick off hopefully we'll be able to kick off 2023 picking up a pelagos 39 yeah yeah there's only been a few sort of more expensive sort of watches that i've wanted enough to actually sell trade buy weasel my way into (laughs) a comfort zone to get to get a watch that i definitely don't need yeah you think about so many watches on this list you or i own so there's no need left for any of these it's just kind of fun Right. And, and part of our life, but uh, the Pelagos 39 has really got me. I, I, you know, I I've been joking in working on a week on the wrist story for Hodinki that it's kind of like you know the the straight pipes guys who we we had Jacob on the show. Yeah. Uh, some time ago, when the, when they got a million subscribers, they joke about there's fast cars and then there's like dad fast cars. <laughs> so there's like supercars, like six, seven hundred horsepower, maybe more. And then there's cars that are kind of like dad fast, like yeah. it's still a normal car, but it's also quick, right? And in in some ways, and, and who knows, maybe maybe Tudor won't love this. And and Tudor, I say this with nothing but love for the watch. I really love it. It's a bit of like a dad Pelagos. So <laughs> they've taken sure. like yeah. most of the core. They've left a lot of the a lot of the capability and that kind of stuff, but they've removed the most. Advanced 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 sort of cutting edge I dive every weekend sort of features right and what's left behind is is a little bit more of like the cuv the crossover of of dive watches and it's a great crossover at that yeah i think normally i wouldn't want that but man on wrist is it really good (laughs) really just a deeply a fan i think it's probably my favorite kind of more expensive watch of the year and hopefully it's one that I can I can kind of have next year and wear and take diving and do all that kind of stuff and just, you know, cover the titanium and scratches. And yeah I, I'm looking forward to it if I can make it work. I'm, I've sold one watch through the Slack uh, buy sell channel. A big shout out to John for uh, picking that watch up. Uh, that money is going directly into the kitty for the, the Pelagos.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, it, this trio of 39 millimeter watches from Wow, from Tudor yeah. I mean what what a year? What other brand can can say that it's had such a tremendous year? And I think of the three, um you know, I, I talked about the Ranger being very enticing. I think the Black Bay Pro, I wouldn't have a single issue with the thickness of it. I think it looks great. I love a steel bezel anyway, and then, yeah, you know the the uh, the flyer, GMT, the local jumping, um, you know, uh, yeah, just just tremendous. I'd love to see what they do, how they iterate this watch. You know, you talked about the Ranger maybe getting smaller or something, but yeah, the pro. Like to see if they could yeah. spin off other dial colors or, or or something would be really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, I think a blue
0: one would work really well. Yeah,
1: dark blue. Yeah,
0: yeah dark blue. You could even keep the yellow. Mm-hmm. Sure. Of the GMT hand, and it would give the watch an entirely different vibe than yeah. the current one. Yeah, and and you know that's a that's usually Tudor's next color mm-hmm. is a blue. Right. Right. But imagine if they even went the blue of the FXD. Yeah that sort of richly navy blue rather than the purpley blue or the or the somewhat less saturated of the 58. I know we're splitting hairs here, especially describing colors and audio. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like as long as we've been doing TGN, we've been talking about the fact that Omega moved up market. Yeah, to go after Rolex and they left this vacuum. Yeah, and it's weird because I think Tudor filled that vacuum in 2015 with the Pelagos with the Black Bay. But it's taken them seven years to really show where they could take where they could take the whole scope of the brand when it comes to steel sport watches, mm-hmm. and and I think we're really starting to see that line like expand. We now have a, like two two totally different ways you can go with the Pelagos, several different ways you can go Black Bay, whether it's fifty eight or Pro, and then we saw them try something with the Ranger, which definitely had its fans, mm-hmm. but maybe wasn't successful enough to keep going. And now they're trying another thing. I'm excited to see what they try in 2023 for sure. I mean, the FXD is another one that I think. True. Yeah. Obviously, that's a 2021 great watch. Yeah. And we see them all the time on the Slack now, the TGN Slack, mm-hmm. and and they're just deeply cool things. And I've also found, and this leads me to, I suppose, another yet another watch on the list. But I really like a fully graduated bezel. Oh yeah. Yeah whether it's the FXD or the MS22 like like or you're, you have an MS21 SCURFA. right just
1: really cool yeah i don't
0: i can't fully describe why but i like it
1: they've got it on the Aqualand right right it 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 lends a certain like seriousness to the watch and and usefulness of course but it just it aesthetically mm-hmm. it just looks good I, I you see those hashes in like the first 15 or 20 of some watches and then like they disappear for the rest of it and it feels a little empty so does that mean we're, we're segueing into Scurfa? I think that's not a bad, bad move. I mean, the funny thing is, is I spoke
0: previously about the budget watches story for Hodinkee, and I didn't put the Scurfa on there because for me it was the MS-22 was both the watch I got and it's their 2022 release, and it's sold out. Yeah. And I've become very yeah. sensitive to members of the audience that get bummed out when most of what they read about is stuff they can't even think to buy.
1: Right, right.
0: And I, I think within this context, which is a little bit more personal, a little bit about our 2022 and watches, that MS-22, man, we, we say it a lot. I mean, the the, the TGN slacks becoming largely like a sc- scurf-a-cult.
1: scurf-a-forum. A forum Or scurf forum <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And, the, the, you know, all different shapes, colors, sizes. But for me, that, that black or the blue of the 21 with the full bezel and, and the titanium yeah. on a strap is just – it's so
1: – much watch for the money. I know it, it. It's visually just striking when you see it. There's, there's just so much going on with this watch. These, the, the hands and the markers are just like twice the size of like what other watches mm-hmm. do. And then the, the, bezel's incredibly legible. Um, I, I heard some, some people on the Slack channel, um, you know, questioning about the, the thickness of it. It's nothing I ever noticed with it. Um, for a quartz watch, it might be a little chunky, but. Somehow the overall dimensions just sit just so snugly and perfectly on the wrist.
0: Yeah, I I wrote a story recently that was uh, like one of one of those Houdinki like steel versus splurge. Yeah. And it was the 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 diver one titanium in whatever version you prefer versus the Pelagos. You know, one's Mm -hmm. 250 bucks, one's 4,400 bucks. Yeah. And these steel versus splurge things are kind of silly because usually the answer is like buy the better one if you can afford it or buy the cheap one if you can't. Right like they, the, the, there's not always a big argument here for one being a better watch than the other or a worse watch than the other. They're just two different markets. Yeah. But the interesting thing about this was, I you know, I wrote the whole thing and and, and did the post and I was happy with how it came out. And then in the comments, a guy kind of took me to ca- task and said like, so the scurf was fine at that thickness, but the same thickness on a Doxa 600 is bad. Oh, right, right. And I said like, well, I mean, both of, you know, the Doxa thing I explain over like 1500 words, yeah. And, and it largely comes down to like, yeah, the, there's thickness, but then there's how the thickness moves around on your wrist. yeah And the Doxa sits up off your wrist on like a higher case back. And look, I have nothing to get, I like the way the 600 looks. I wish it were, wore better on my wrist. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And when you add in wanting to wear it on a NATO, having a tall case back so the watch is millimeters off your wrist, I just found it kind of wobbled and toppled around. That's right. not going to be the same for everyone's wrist, but it's my job to literally talk about how the, the watch kind of hit me yeah it, it changes with the strap if you put a stiff strap on the scurfa it sits too high for me mm-hmm. but on the rubber it comes with on a nicely broken in canvas on a leather on a nato i really like it and, and it doesn't bother me at all in terms of thickness yeah it's also a nice has a nice smooth rounded edges so it kind of tucks down a little bit better than a watch that like is kind of brutalist like the 600 yeah definitely great yeah. watch i'm super happy with it
1: yeah, good pick, and and I, I think also, you know, you you're someone who who came to yours um, after it was long sold out. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and that's just the nature of things. And I think a lot of, you know, readers might um, take you to task over that sort of thing um, for writing about a watch that's not available. But the fact is, they are available. Like you just need to know where to look, be patient, make a deal. Yep. People people buy and sell and trade stuff all the time, and uh, yeah, you can you can still get one.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then e- even in the last week availability changed on Skirpa's website and it, and it popped up on uh, on the Slack. People chatting about, oh, you, you know, there's certain models are now available again. They came back in stock. Yeah. So it's a question of watching what's available new also, you now have forewarning of two years that there'll be an MS twenty three, predictably. Right. So may- maybe maybe, you know, keep in touch with Scarfa for something like that and, and you could jump on that if you can't. And then it took me it took me a couple a couple maybe month, month and a half of asking around yeah. and, and checking on, on forms. But I mean you know, you look at watch recon, there were a couple MS twenty twos that I had only missed by a little bit of time. Yeah. So they're not that hard to get. I think it's probably harder to buy all sorts of other watches. There just aren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, with 500 but i feel like even even if you don't want the ms you just have to wait a little while and there's there's lots of options in terms of the second hand for the diver one and titanium yeah probably one of the biggest impacts a watch had on me this year because i I, I, you know you were kind of big on the scurfa and i would see henry wearing it in his videos and i couldn't quite get behind the hands in photos yeah and then in person like i don't think i thought about it again i just i put it on my wrist and I, i fell in love right and and for an amount of money that i could literally recommend to Anyone, like whether you know watches or not, mm-hmm. it, it it's in many ways, it's slotted right into where I used to suggest something like a, an SKX, which yeah. of course you can't get for a couple hundred bucks anymore but you can do this. You are supporting a cool, small brand. You're getting something that I don't think is going to give you many headaches because it's quartz, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I think the value there is in spades. I think they're cool watches. And I like that they've kind of like continued to just be uh, just kind of popular, even with people who like that, like and own vastly more expensive pieces. Yeah. I think that's kind of like the mark
1: of a, of a good budget watch is one that belies its budget. Yeah, I would agree. I guess another one that I would, Mention is the citizen another citizen. This is the, the what people have called it a number of things: the Fujitsubo, which is Japanese for barnacle, um, the Challenge Diver. Um, mm-hmm. But this is the the ProMaster Automatic with the titanium case that that you reviewed and I reviewed, and yep, um, we both have spent uh, ample time with. And you know, this is a watch that I think was a significant release for Citizen. I think they were. I felt like over the past few years they've been less. Uh, eager to jump on the kind of retro or heritage bandwagon like Seiko. But they probably looked over and saw Seiko kind of doing so well with the SPBs and some of the throwback stuff. And, and they came out with this one, which um, harkens back to a, a model that they produced in the late 70s. And right. they, they've done it in their super titanium, which is this incredibly scratch-proof, incredibly light um, alloy. And um, it's an automatic, which you know Citizen is kind of really gone in hard on, on the EcoDrive stuff. And so to see it in an automatic, in this kind of retro style case was kind of a breath of fresh air. And and when it first came out, admittedly, I I handled it and I thought this thing feels like plastic. It feels like so light. The bezel actions light, the crown is tiny and kind of flimsy feeling. But the fact is once you get it on your wrist, you're like, okay, I get it. Like this watch wears really well. Um, it's the right size. It has the right looks. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great little watch.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't think much of it when I pulled it out of the box. It didn't feel like... It, it's so light you almost think it's not that well made. And then you put it on your wrist and it just kind of disappears. Yeah. And you can do the you can do the sort of vintage effect, you know, Submariner adjacent sort of design. But it weighs like less than the bracelet <laughs> for the dive watch you probably have on your wrist right now. Right, right. It works really well with a variety of straps because of the weight. It has a nicely kind of curved case back that nestles against the curvature of the lug so it sits flat it stays where you want it to stay especially on the rubber yeah so it ends up just being kind of this comfortable legible straightforward dive watch that allows you to do the titanium thing while it's still while it's still small mm-hmm. yeah right rather than we've said this so many times i've said this so many times but it, it does feel like we're, we've reached a point with titanium dive watches where they don't you just use the titanium to hide a giant case's weight right we can get both. We can have a small watch in the presence of a smaller watch and the super lightweight of the titanium. And I think that the challenge diver captures that really well in for a thousand dollars. Like,
1: yeah. And it it reminded me, you know, wearing that watch for, for a couple of weeks reminded me or reinforced with me how important wearability and comfort is with a watch because I, I, you know, I've, I've got plenty of big, heavy watches and frankly, I don't wear them much anymore. I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, my S2000 Bremont, I've got that uh, Regatta Omega Seamaster chronograph. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I pull them out because I'm like, this is cool. I'm going to wear this today. And then I put it on. And I'm like, after an hour, I'm like, man, this thing's heavy, you know? And then yeah, a couple of years of wearing watches like this or a couple of weeks with this on my wrist, I'm like, man, I just want to wear this thing all the time because it just weighs nothing. It just feels so good yeah. on the wrist. So,
0: yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, we did a whole episode on titanium you know, yeah. a couple months ago. It's been a big year for titanium watches, and I think there's a bunch of different ways you can look at it, but one of them is definitely this way. It's a conventional watch made in titanium. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, a solid product. I could see it being quite successful for them. All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's get into a couple that I can't afford, but would very much like to if I could. <laughs> the first of which we, we can just jump back to the the Doxa Carbon White Pearl. Mm-hmm. I think the addition of the White Pearl in general is great. Yeah, The, the 300 White Pearl is really cool like really, really cool and feels so different than the colorways we've seen before. But there's something about that loom dial carbon that I've not been able to forget about. <laughs> I think it's a watch that I'll have to own someday. I don't feel as much pressure as I might with the Pelagos. Yeah. And for why, you know, I'll, I'll consider, I'll, I'll keep looking inside to try and figure out why. Uh, maybe because I already have the 300 here, yeah. the Sea Rambler. But yeah, I, I just love this watch. And I don't think my love for it has changed in any way that the carbon still really speaks to me as a, an interesting way of keeping a format and a footprint and a silhouette of a vintage watch mm-hmm. but entirely changing the way it wears and feels and, and i think it's just there it's it's a really compelling sort of uh product especially if you're well probably exclusively if you're a doxa nerd
1: yeah yeah i agree and i think you, if you had a watch like this it would feel not only nostalgic and doxa-esque but but really special because of the of the material i think you'd you'd always find yourself kind of looking at it up close and, and people would ask to see it. And and it's, it's, it's really a unique, beautiful watch. I remember one of our listeners brought, uh, brought one that he had to, um, to wind up and I, you're right. I can't get that out of my head. It it was so good looking and he had it on a NATO strap. I mean, it just looked perfect. Mm Yeah. No, I, yeah.
0: I I think it could definitely definitely might need to happen sometime in the future. Someday I, maybe I'll get down to four or five watches and it'll be these ones I've been talking about for the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other one while we're on Doxa that I'd love to get to is just the the army especially in steel. Obviously oh, the ceramic sure. LE that came out was super impressive, but the steel is just a really nice price point for a good-looking
1: watch. Yeah, I agree. It was a, it was a good release. I I think you know, people were waiting for it. Um, they made the one with the, the bronze accents that that called to mm-hmm. me strangely. Green, yeah. I mean, something I normally wouldn't go for, but I thought that lo- that one looked good too. So, yeah, strong year for Doxa.
0: Yeah, it was a strong year for Doxa. You know, it's it's cool to see them add an entire color to the lineup, and and normally that would feel not maybe not that important for most brands, but because they just they run a color right through the whole lineup, it it adds one whole watch to to the whole yeah true to each strata yeah. And I think because they, you know, they name their colors, the colors are kind of part of the identity, especially the core three colors mm-hmm. uh, to, to go with one that's white. I think it's just a whole different appeal uh, to those watches. And I guess it was maybe it was announced in 2021, but let's say it's, maybe it's come to fruition now. They're a little bit easier to see in person, at least in the States. Oh, sure. Which I think is, is pretty helpful for Doxa. So if you're on the fence, they're a weird watch. They don't wear like other watches it makes sense to try and see them in person. And now you can not only see and try on a couple of them, but you could see probably conceivably the whole line, especially if you can get to a major city. Yeah. Uh, You could see more of them in person, which I think is a good development for them as well. So, yeah. It would be a
1: sad year-end for us if, if we didn't have some docs to talk about. <laughs> what else have you got? Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of these I'll, we can go through quickly because you know, we talked about them very recently. Uh, indeed, this one, the the Omega uh, Seamaster 300-meter Diver, the, the Bond 60th Anniversary Edition. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we just talked about this one. Not much more to say about it. Um, I'm really smitten with it, especially from the front. I, the, the back mm-hmm. feels gimmicky, that, that kind of... Uh, um sort of animated animated bond intro bond thing, intro yeah. thing on the on the case back I could do without in fact I'd love to see I'd love to see the um the closed case back with like the broad arrow on the back like they did for the no time to die watch like but I, I just think the blue with the the aluminum anodized aluminum bezel um they, they just nailed it it was a, it's a nice looking watch uh, it's less money than the no time to die it's you know just over 7000 mm-hmm. that one's got to be on the list I think it was a significant release for Omega this year and uh, and I love it. I thought it was great. I'd love to see kind of a standard edition with that format.
0: I think it's probably the strongest thing they announced this year uh, to our tastes. Yeah. Obviously the Ultra Deep was a was a big experiment and and a really impressive product, not something I was going to necessarily attach to or want to buy that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. fairly large, fairly specific in its appeal. And then we saw stuff like the Chrono Chime, which is wild and deeply impressive, but not really in our zone. Mm-hmm. And then even as much as I opened by talking about a solid gold Moonshine Speedy with a green dial, also like not really within the purview of what we normally chit chat about. Yeah. Whereas this, maybe on the upper end of the price point that we like to uh, we like to cover, I think just has a huge amount of appeal um, for a day
1: to day dive watch. Yeah. Can't wait to see this one show up uh, on people's wrists now, as we as we start to see the the wrist check channel in Slack blow up uh, with something like this.
0: We mentioned the ultra deep, so we should probably also mention the deep sea challenge. Yeah, um, I you know I I got the the chance to go ahead and actually go to Geneva and, and photograph it for a story that Tony was writing, which is like kind of a fun treat to to do the Rolex thing and to see some of those processes. Uh, the watch itself, you know, it's it's a giant. <laughs> almost like reference to rolex's ability to make dive watches more than it is a dive watch yeah and you know there's also an argument to be made which i made in a, in a recent story that or maybe the story is not out yet well you, you get to decide depending on when you get to this but the the machine that they designed which is called the the ultra high pressure tank <laughs> which was made in in partnership with comex that they designed to test the dfc challenge can actually test to a water pressure that doesn't exist on Earth, like in standing <laughs> water, I'm, there might be some crazy geological feature, and and if you know of that, by all means, please know that I'm ignorant to its existence. But I mean, there's no standing depth of water that would provide thirteen thousand uh, the pressure equivalent to thirteen thousand seven hundred and fifty meters. Yeah, and that's not even the maximum of the machine. So if you see this story go up on Hodinky about how rolex is testing these watches Mm -hmm. check it out it's kind of a fun little one i got to go deep into a basement below you know their headquarters and actually see where they're testing 10 of these watches at a time yeah in this machine (laughs) and it's it's something else yeah if you understand these things the machine is um essentially clamped for 1750 bar wow so I'll let you do that math on your own, or you can read my read my article when it comes out <laughs> to know just how deep or how much pressure that really is. It's it's something else, and I think as a technical achievement, it's worth chit chatting about and enjoying and knowing it's there. Is it, is it a commercial product? You can't really convince me that it is. You know what I mean? Like like yeah. sure they'll sell a few, but but they also only sold a few of like the original ones that you know the commemorative editions of the original ones
1: that were on the Trieste, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. This is, this is an emblem. This is a, this is a a tribute to, to their capabilities because you're right. As a dive watch, you know, to wear this watch diving, that's not even the point. This is a watch you strap onto the outside of a, of a submersible. (laughs) You know, it's not a watch you strap on your wrist to, you know, dive 30 meters, uh, you know, kind of on a reef somewhere, but cool, cool. They made it and uh, definitely worth talking about because it was a very significant watch this year.
0: And then, yeah, before we got into the whole deep sea and the ultra deep and the rest of it, I was saying that there were two watches that I I really like, but, you know, can't can't necessarily afford on a whim. And the second one of those is one that I finally got to witness in person, and it's on its 50th anniversary this year. That's the Porsche design chronograph one.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: I don't normally like fawn over chronographs. (laughs) They're not like that's not my zone. Yeah. I absolutely love this thing and I can't stop looking at them. <laughs> you know, I got to go into the factory and, and the manufactory where you get to see some of these made and the designers and and see some of these uh, additions that are, are kind of yet to be released, some stuff from the future. Yeah, And just that core 1972 design yeah. offers so much little variances, a lot of which happened in the past and mm. some of which, you know, they'll iterate upon in the future. But it's like a really nicely wearing, genuinely automotive inspired, Watch that comes from the same guy that designed the 911. Yeah, yeah. That that really speaks to me in a way that I don't think without having the experience of, of visiting Porsche Design and getting some of the background on that, I don't know that I would have attached to the watch in the same way. It has that specificity of the story, and like I'm not fortunate enough to own a, a 911, so I like that it doesn't say nine eleven on the dial or that sort of thing. It was just meant to kind of follow in the lineage of the same design language yeah. from the same designer. And yeah, the the fact is that they're expensive, but I do I kind of get it. They're not making a ton of them. They look really good. I love that the, you know these modern ones have quick change so you can pop that bracelet off and put on another strap. Oh, you nice. can wear them on a NATO. Yeah. You can do all that kind of stuff and then now they've got ones with a flyback movement, which I think is really rad. Wow. And uh, yeah, like I said, I've seen some of the stuff that they've got planned for next year and and it makes me only more excited about it. So much like with the Doxa that's one that I could absolutely see in 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 a future sort of edition of my collection, huh. I I really like these. I could easily see it because sort of my like like in 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 the way that somebody might attach to a speedmaster. I think this is more my my field my zone. Interesting,
1: yeah, and and I yeah. guess in a way you've had a similar format, you, so you've been able to try that that shape right with your Zin um, one four yeah. yeah, which references. Same same case sort of thing, very similar design language overall. Yeah. Very Germanic. Yeah. This is very much a guilty pleasure of mine. I remember a local shop here was was selling a vintage version of this, um, the Orfina version from way back. And it was I remember handling it in the case and it had the kind of that roll, rolled bullet style, you know, bracelet and uh and the 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 if you can even call it PvD was all kind of wearing off. I mean it just it looked great and yeah, these are these are cool watches. Um yeah I, I I'm shocked to hear you say that that you could see this being in your collection I never would have put something like this on your wrist however, I can see it on your wrist I mean it it, it is the right very toolish aesthetic and and of course you being very dialed into the automotive space, I I could totally see that happening. I think you know when you get your 911, I think this would be the perfect accompaniment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to come down closer to the price of the chronograph before Seriously. I'm I'm a 911 yeah. guy. Yeah. But yeah, they're you know these things are like in the neighborhood of 10 grand. Yeah, um, used ones can certainly cost that much depending on their condition. Not always, but depending on their condition and the era and that sort of thing. And and I'm not debating whether they're worth that or not. If that's what people are paying, then that's what they're worth. Yeah. Super. Yeah just more than i've ever spent on a watch and and it i would say that remains more in a dream class Uh, but i am happy to have seen every generation collected in one space and get to try a bunch of them on uh just a a really nice wearing uh watch that feels super super specific uh, to an era and a design and and it is i like those designs i think everybody does but those designs were like it worked so they just didn't bother changing it right speedy's in there subs in there yeah 50 fathoms is in there yeah you know royal oak is in there there's tons right and a lot of them are in, are now celebrating 50 60 years of age so there's clearly there was something in the water right right in uh, in the 60s and the 70s so, uh, <laughs> you know maybe 72 is towards the tail end of, of some really great designs yeah but man I, I i really enjoyed getting a chance to see more of these and, and it, it just becomes something that kind of defined and it just became a, another one of these watches that defined sort of my perspective in 2022.
1: Cool. That's a, that's a, that's a great you, addition to this. I wouldn't have expected to see that on the list, but, uh, among all these other kind of dive watches, but that's, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of down on down to the end of the list here. We we've talked about some, some watches that we'd love to have some that we've, we own some that we've tried. Um, you know, do you have one that kind of stands out as a favorite that you want to close out with?
0: Yeah, I think I do. And and it's fun because I, I feel very sure-footed in this decision that my favorite watch of the year is that new Mito Ocean star. I actually saw this one quite some time ago and immediately i thought like oh wait that's going to be a winner at least for my wrist yeah and at f- under fifteen hundred dollars i think it's actually under fourteen hundred dollars with the bracelet two straps an automatic movement that's a, a proper flyer gmt it's a great size it wears really well i really like the aesthetic and that it doesn't lean too hard into the sort of faux vintage it just has sort of a vintage aesthetic based in some past Mito designs. Yeah, I've had it almost nonstop on my wrist since I got it a couple weeks ago. And I absolutely love it. I've traveled with it. I've jumped time zones with it. And I'd, it's not going anywhere. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled by it. And I think they're still available in Hoodinkee store. At least they were, you know, at, at the point of recording. You know, I feel like I've advocated for GMT watches for many years, especially the, the sort of picking the one that suits the way that you need to track another time zone, whether you're traveling to the time zone or calling into the time zone or watching the time zone. And I think this year we had both Yeah, with the with the Seiko and then with this Mito. And then we had, you know, Citizen and some other brands with the Miyota 9075. I think this has been a great year for, just to see the starting point of a few brands coming at the GMT world at a at a budget or close to budget space, yeah. And if I was comfortable spending and praising the SPB one four three in say twenty twenty and through twenty twenty one, I feel exactly
1: the same about the Ocean Star GMT from Hodinkee. It's great to be able to talk about a, a brand that we don't normally talk about. I mean, Amido is true. I think, we yeah, might have yeah. I I'd have to go back through all of our old shows and count, but I better be on one hand the, the number of times Amido has come up. Um, but they make solid watches. I mean, you know, Swatch Group quality is certainly not not one to be questioned. They're, they're you know, top to bottom, they usually make a, a solid watch. And and you know, Mito's been doing some good stuff in the past few years. And I think this watch you've you've obviously um, sung the praises of recently. And we've seen a lot of them pop up on the Slack group and on Instagram. And I think people are are drawn to this one. And it just goes goes to point out that it was, it was a solid year for, for travel watches. And, and for sure. <laughs> coincidentally, it's a year when, you know, as the pandemic was winding down, people started to get back on the road again, that the timing mm-hmm. couldn't have been better. I mean, look at our list. We've got Black Bay Pro. We've got even the Aqualand, you can do a second time zone on the the Ocean sure. Star, the, the Seiko. Um, yeah, just uh, really solid. Even the Benrus, you know, you can use the 12 hour bezel. So absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good one to finish on. And how about you? Do you have a favorite or is it probably the Aqualand? It's the Aqualand. I love it. Yeah. I wore that watch so much and and every time I see you or anyone else post a picture of it on their wrist, I'm like, all right, gotta go get it out of the box, put it on. <laughs> and it's running. It's keeping perfect time, which is great. Yeah, true. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, you know, for two grand then you're in you're in on under two grand for a two watch collection. Uh, a travel watch that's a little bit on the more elegant dressy side and then a dive watch that is decidedly neither of those things and is yeah. all the better for it.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: not bad. Well, I would love to know whether you put it in the comments or you want to jump into the slack. I, I would love to know what your watch of the year was, what your favorite watches were, what you think we might have missed because we had a long list and we tried to trim it down and have some focus to it. We wanted to make sure you know we got a solid hour plus out of the topic, which we have. But I'm sure we didn't get to everything. I think this is one of the stronger years of my time in watches. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like some of the pessimism of the last few years, especially around really expensive watches, has kind of meant that there's a new focus in like, well, what can I get for a thousand bucks? What can I get for under two grand? Yeah, and and maybe people have been asking that for a couple years, but brands have started to reply. Mm-hmm. And whether it's more titanium or more travel watches, or man, do I hope we combine the two in 2023. <laughs> I, I'm I'm here for it. I think yeah. it was a solid year. We had lots to talk about on the show, and we'd love to know, you know, w- what was your favorite? What kind of hit for you? What's on the dream list? What you'd like to see next year? So let us know in the comments or hit it hit it up on Slack. We always have a kind of a, a weekly show thread going, and uh, I would love to keep that conversation going with uh, with everyone who's listening. Yeah, you want to jump into some final notes?
1: Yeah, why don't you go first? I've got kind of a, a repeat one that we do every year, so why don't you go first?
0: Oh yeah, look at that. I didn't. I hadn't <laughs> scrolled down far
1: enough. So my pick
0: for this week and to close out the year is another thing that I've been kind of dreaming about and it's it's this idea of having like an adventure camper. Yeah. Like just a vehicle that's ready to go that you're not really compromised by using it as your daily and uh, there's an and so this is a story from Outside Online written by uh, Brian Rogala and it is an in-depth look at his not first form, but like arguably one of his final evolutions of coming to like an adventure camper, Hmm. an overland rig, if you will. Yeah. So in reading this, you you get an idea that Brian's been down the road with pretty much everything that you could imagine online as far as different gear, different trucks, different platforms, different modes of camping, all that kind of stuff. And then this is sort of the culmination, or at least current to say fall of 2022, the culmination of all that experience. And then he details. And when I say details, like this is a long read. And when I got into it, I thought like, oh, I'll read the first couple paragraphs, find out what the truck is, maybe read into the camper. Nope. I read every word. I really <laughs> liked it. It's super enjoyable. I learned a ton. And there's also videos throughout. So if you want to see in, you know, in, you know, quote unquote, three dimension in more detail than a photo, or uh, more moving detail than a photo, you can, um, you can also watch the little videos that kind of fill in some of the blanks for the stuff that he describes. But this is everything from the truck to how to modify the truck to the camper to how to modify the camper to the electrical system, the water system, the heating system, the cooking platform, the organization, it's all of it and I just really enjoyed it if uh, if you're like me that the type of guy who will watch venture four-wheel drive and and kind of enjoy the ones where Chris changes something about his truck or or maybe the same thing for Drew Sims or that sort of thing then I, I think this this uh, fairly long and very in-depth story is for you and it, it made me think about what you might spend on a, on a very inexpensive cottage yeah true uh, providing you don't you don't live near a major city where the cottage property could cost as much as anywhere else mm-hmm but what you might spend on an inexpensive piece of property somewhere where you could put a low cabin or, you know, maybe off the off the water, uh, like no water, no power sort of cabin, yeah. you you could probably end up with a pretty nice truck build that could take you anywhere. Yeah. It's it's a compelling argument. You know, we, we had a QA earlier in the year, I want to say four or five, six months ago, about whether or not we would want to be in the woods or in the water and how far we would wanna be from home. Mm-hmm. And and it, in some ways reading this story i thought like well this is almost an answer to all of those questions because you could just pick on your own
2: yeah true right yeah
0: and and i the last thing i would say is i don't think that you need to go as deep as he did because like i said he's been through the other stages Mm -hmm. i think it's something you kind of ease your way into maybe a bit like scuba diving or or any sort of adventuring in general you start off with a weekend trip or a a well-known option and then move on from there and let it kind of cascade and I would say his, his rock has rolled further downhill than others. He's,
1: he's very specific in what he needs and what they're using it for. And I I really enjoyed the post. Yeah. It's so thorough. I'm just scrolling through. I mean, he's got lists of tools and then, you know, sort of video demos of how he did each thing. And I mean, the, Mm -hmm. the, the the slide on camper idea is is a nice idea. I mean, so many people have pickup trucks anyway, and I've always liked this format of camper because you can leave it and go, you know, it's not attached to the vehicle full time. And, uh, yeah that's cool
0: yeah it's, it's a compelling thing and, and and anywhere where you think he might not he might have made a decision that you wouldn't he at least gives you the reason why yeah and it may or may not apply to you yeah you know this is a four season platform for skiing and backcountry touring and that kind of stuff and i think there's something to learn for anyone who might want to do an overland build or or a you know a camper build um yeah i, I loved it this is the kind of stuff that i like to see from outside uh which there's a lot of depth a lot of value here and a lot of specificity so yeah that's, uh, that's my suggestion. Uh, read it over the holidays. If you want to dream about maybe a, a good project for the next year.
2: Yeah.
1: Good one.
0: How about you? All right. I'm going to
1: close out with, uh, our annual recommendation to listen to the shepherd, which is a uh, yeah. short story by Frederick Forsyth. Um, specifically the version that's read by, um, uh, Canadian treasure, fireside Al Maitland, um, who started reading this, uh, yearly on, uh, the CBC as it happens show, um, he started back in the late seventies and, and the, this recording that they have on their website, uh, they, they just keep it up there and you can, you can just use their player embedded in the, in the webpage and, and play this. And it's, it's a wonderful holiday story. Um, you know, the, the, the lead in here is the year is 1957 an RAF pilot is heading home from Germany for Christmas fog sets in and all radio communication is lost. And it that's the gist of it, and it's told first person Forsyth was a pilot. he did fly to Haviland uh, vampire. And, you know there's a, just a lot of nostalgia it uh, Al Maitland's voice is perfect for this. He does all the kind of different accents and and voices that that come into play in the story and uh you know i i've I've roped enough people into this now where you know, on Christmas we're sitting with my parents and and I make them listen to it, and we enjoy it, and sometimes we listen to it more than once and it's just it's kind of a cozy kind of holiday tradition that, that I've come to enjoy and um, we've, we've kind of tended to recommend it every year now on our last TGN of the year. So give it a go.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. That's definitely one that I will be getting to. You know, I have a, a fairly long drive ahead for part of our holiday plans, So I think this will be part of it when we get tired of my silly comedy podcast uh, <laughs> and the sort of high energy options we might, uh, you know, derivate into, uh, into yeah. a new recording of this, which I'll have to make sure I have uh, available on the phone. But yeah, I co-signed completely. I think this is a, a great tradition, a beautiful story, well told, and uh, pretty much good for any, any
1: listener. Yeah. Well, that, that takes care of episode 220, but it also takes care of uh, the gray NATO for 2022. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, we thank you all for listening to this episode. You know, maybe you're new to TGN, maybe you've been listening since uh, episode one way back in 2016. Um, but you know, for speaking for myself and obviously for James, you know, we, um, we appreciate every one of you that listens, that supports, that chimes in Mm -hmm. in the comments, that jumps in on Slack, tags us on Instagram. Has bought our kerchiefs and T-shirts and stickers and watch straps. TGN has become so much more than a podcast, and and we're really proud and humbled and and so pleased by that.
0: Yeah, I I, I would I would absolutely mirror that. You know, it it has become more of a podcast, but not because we've done much more than make a podcast. It's because um, of all all of you are willing to kind of co-mingle and, and enjoy the world of adventure and travel and diving and driving and gear and s- certainly watches. And I couldn't be more thankful for the way this last year has gone. Uh, TGN is the high point of, of my work life. It's something I'm deeply proud of. And you know, launching the supporter crew and then later on the Slack, it's really been fun to meet more of you and connect with more of you, wind up with such an uplifting sort of experience that helped define The fact that, you know, watches are fun and and should remain fun and and be about people and and all that kind of stuff. And 2022 was a great year. And I owe that to all of you who are listening. We've got some great plans for 2023. We're going to try and do more for the show and, uh, and, you know, bring more value to the table and that kind of stuff. But uh, we wouldn't have made it this far if it wasn't for the
1: listeners and the supporter crew and the rest. So uh, a deep and heartfelt thank you for sure. And as always, thanks so much for listening. If you want to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode or consider supporting the show directly and grab a new TGN signed nato. Please visit the Music throughout, as it always has been, is Siesta by Jazzar via the Free Music Archive.
0: And we leave you with this quote from Carl Bard who said, "Although no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending."